Um, I told you guys, make sure as you're coming to these nightly Bible studies to bring with you a Bible and something to write on, something to write with. Hopefully you took me up on that. If you have your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 6. What I want these studies to be is not Gabe Rutledge rambling on and talking. You guys get to hear that enough as it is. But I want instead this to be a Bible study where I throw out questions and you give me answers. This is what we would call a more of a, a midrash. Uh, midrash means to seek out together. And I believe that many people are more edified when there are more voices that are contributing. So, Hebrews chapter 6 is where we're at tonight. And I picked this theme... And actually, Stacy recommended we maybe we go through this theme as well. And I was looking for some. I solicited for some ideas. And when your when your wife gives you an idea, how many of you husbands know that you should probably go with it? And no, I'm kidding. No, it was a really good idea. Um, I've told this story before. As you're getting to Hebrews six, but oh, you guys have a fancy light. I like that. Look at there, Travis. Um, I told this story before. I work in residential construction. And how many of you know that if you're building a house? and the foundation is wrong, bad things happen, right? And I've experienced this firsthand. Uh, there was a superintendent who was leaving our company and he was starting his own business. Uh, and as he was doing so, he was being pulled in different directions. Um, and I don't blame him, I mean, it's, it was justified. Starting a business takes a lot of work and he wanted to go off and work for himself and start his own construction business. But you can only do so many things well and um, there is a house that was formed up for the slab to be poured. And this house, um, normally we, we would have to do what are called pre, pre-pour inspections of a, of a form. You guys know what a form is? It's a wood box, basically at different levels. And it's, it, it basically is the outline of the house. And then Dump trucks will come, or not dump trucks, cement trucks will come, and they'll pour about $10,000 worth of cement in there. That's going to harden completely in about four hours. 3,000 PSI uh, concrete, and that's not going anywhere. And once it's done, it's done. All right? You can't fix it. <laughs> you can't even add to it. Um, it doesn't get a good bond if you try to add on to it or put something on top of it. You can't do that. Um, so what's... What happened here is the slab in the form was six inches too big. You might be thinking, oh, that's, that's not a big deal, right? Six inches is actually, you know, maybe we're giving the homeowner some more, some more room inside their home, some more square footage. Yeah, that would be fine, except the plans say that the house was six inches smaller than what was on the ground. So all the other tradesmen that are coming in after the concrete workers are not getting that memo that the house is six inches bigger than what it says on the plans. So every tradesperson is having to compensate for the additional six inches somehow. And no one really raises any concerns as they're just coming in and they're, you know, they're just saying, okay, we just got to add a six inches more of two by four for the framing. We got to add six inches more for, you know, for the drywall. We got to add six inches more for the baseboards and for the crown molding, for the quarter round, for the flooring. And everybody keeps adding and adding. And no one raises a concern and says, guys, it seems like all these things 
aren't adding up. It seems like we're using too much material. It seems like something is off here. And by the time I get into the house, the house is 95% done. And the first thing I notice when I walk into the guest bathroom is that there is a vanity, a sink, and then there's a toilet touching the sink. And it's plumbed in to the ground through the slab. And there's a hole in the slab. It's a four-inch hole, and it can't be moved, right? And I'm thinking to myself, that that toilet should not be touching the vanity, right? And then on the other side of the toilet, there's like a two-foot gap. And then there's a bathtub. And I'm thinking, okay, that toilet should be one foot over that way, you know, or moved over a little bit. But obviously, when you're working with four-inch openings in a 3,000 PSI, four-inch deep slab, you can't. You can't just wish a toilet over into existence, right? Someone's going to have to rent a jackhammer. <laughs> and then it's uh, going back and figuring out, and of course the plumber is saying, well, I am not going to pay for the jackhammer. I'm not going to get my guys and pay my guys. I need to know who I need to charge to do this. So then it's going back through, okay, well, you know, looks like it looks like they put the vanity too close. And it looks, no, it looks like they made the bathroom. It's the framer's fault. They framed it out too big, and it keeps going back and back and back in time. And finally... It's like, you know what? The slab is too big. And for some reason, everything, when it, it, it all came down to that one spot right there in the guest bathroom, and it manifested itself right there in the guest bathroom. The toilet was about six to eight inches too far over, and it was, should have been shifted over. And ultimately, it boiled down to there was a busy superintendent who didn't get out and meticulously measure the, the form before they put the $10,000 worth of concrete in the form. All right. It's so important that foundations are the way they're supposed to be. It's so important in the building world that if you don't have the correct foundation, the rest of the house is going to be off somehow. It might be pretty close. And the homeowner, you know, they were fine with it, obviously. They, okay, everything works okay and everything looks fine. But it took a lot of digging, a lot of compensating, and a lot of figuring things out before they're like, okay, that's just the problem. And it could have been a lot, much bigger mess. And if the homeowner really pushed us on it, they could have really raised some stank and you know we would have been in trouble. Fortunately, they were okay with it. But there has been a, what I would say, maybe a recent and relatively moderate sized spurt of growth of our congregation in the past year to year and a half. And it's a good level of growth. Um, but whenever we see growth like this, and I've been here for about five and a half years or so doing what I do, I like to kind of hit the brakes a little bit and let's stop and let's measure the foundation. Let's stop and let's make sure the foundation is correct. Because one of the biggest problems and hurdles of the first century church, the first century sect known as the way, is that they were predominantly a Jewish movement that was founded upon Torah, was founded upon um, first century uh, Judaism's, Yeshua's Judaism, uh, and it, it was a, a Jewish-led movement that was based within synagogues. And then what happened? The Gentiles found out. <laughs> the Gentiles found out that there was a savior for them as well, right? Yeah. And then they began to flock into the synagogues in droves. And it'd be like suddenly if Dothan Messianic Fellowship, or if we went down to Temple Emmanuel here in Dothan, how many people attend Temple Emmanuel on average, you think? 15 or 20 people in temple, the Reformed Synagogue here in Dothan. It'd be like if all of us plus, plus twice as much of us 
suddenly started showing up to Shabbat services at Temple Emmanuel. And then going to the Oneg after the service and bringing all kinds of stuff in. And, 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 but meanwhile, throughout the week, we're still pagan Romans that are trying to figure out, pagan Hellenized Gentiles who are, who are every week getting a little bit closer and hearing a little bit more of the oracles of God about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But still going to the pagan temples maybe and, and not figuring out yet that that's not kosher or participating in and, and, and orgies or things that, things that were legitimately going on and that men in the Hellenized world actively participated as a ritual for them. And then suddenly they're going into the synagogue and saying, okay, teach me your ways. I want to hear about this savior. I want to hear about the Torah. I want to hear about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so suddenly the, sh- the culture could shift drastically. And that's what happened, especially with the destruction of Jerusalem, especially with the destruction of, of the temple and, and, and further persecution of Jews. Um, and I, go th- I, I went through that years ago as a teaching called the history of the sect known as the way. But a series of events, the, the faith that was grounded upon uh, the, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the faith that was grounded upon the, the teachings of our master and our savior, suddenly they shifted. They had a, a seismic shift, a polar shift. And now everything began to change and it was Gentilized to a large extent. And, and then there was a lot of syncretism that happened in the faith. And so they brought in a lot of their influences as well. So as we grow, sometimes I say, wait, 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 time out, time out. Let's go over the foundation again, because there's people here that have only been here for a couple months. There's people that have been here for a couple years. And I want to make sure we all have the same foundation because we can't build on this house any further. We can't go any deeper and in any more in detail until we all know that the foundation is the way it's supposed to be. You guys catch, catch that? Okay. You uh, picking up what I'm putting down? Okay, good. So you're at Hebrews chapter six. Let's read a little bit here. And uh, anybody memorize this by the end of the week, I'll give you a double high five, this at least portion that we're talking about here. The writer of Hebrews, and we don't know who wrote Hebrews. I like to suspect Paul, but I'm not, I'm not married to that. But the writer of Hebrews is writing to Messianic Jews in the first century. And the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, let us move on beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity and not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, of instruction about cleansing rites or washing the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. So what is the writer of Hebrews saying there? He's saying, guys, it's time for us to move on past these foundational principles of our faith. And then he lists out, or she lists out, the writer of Hebrews lists out six foundational or elementary principles. And what are they? Let's review. They are Repentance from dead works is number one. Faith in God, instructions about washings or cleansing, the laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and then eternal judgment. The writer of Hebrews is saying, guys, those are foundational. Those are elementary. If you haven't mastered those, don't move on. But if you have, it's time to move on. And I would suspect that within the sound of my voice, there are people that have not mastered those yet. And that's why I wanted to spend six nights mastering those. 
and making sure we get out the measuring tape and we measure the foundation and make sure we're all on the same page here and then we can move on and then we can get the good stuff, the deep stuff, right? The real meaty stuff. This is good though. This is a good review for people that have been in this for years and years and years. It's really good to review this. So obviously tonight we're gonna cover point one, which is the repentance from dead works. The writer of Hebrews is saying that that's an elementary principle to repent from dead works. So what we're going to do is I'm going to throw out some verses for you guys. And I'm going to also equip you with some skills, some Bible study, study skills tonight. So one of the websites I want to take you to, if you have a smartphone or iPad or something like that, I want, to, I want for those who do, maybe you can bunch up into groups of five or six people around you. And I want you to pull up a website called BibleHub.com. BibleHub.com, okay? So guys, just get in little groups. Um, you can move chairs around or whatever. We're going we're gonna to really dig in here. And I need you guys to utilize what tools you have. And I'm going to show you some good Bible study tools. So go to BibleHub.com. It's a free website on your phone. And then once you get there in the search bar, type in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. In the search bar at the top of BibleHub.com, Hebrews 6.1. I'm going to write BibleHub.com up here. There's a lot of different websites and study tools you can use to study the Bible. Now, how many of you know the Bible was not lit, written in the language in which I'm speaking right now? Now, okay, somebody tell me what language was Hebrews chapter 6 written in? Greek. Greek. Yeah, it's written in Greek. So we're at a disadvantage. Does anybody here speak Greek, biblical Greek, Koine Greek fluently? No, I don't either. But we have tools at our disposal where we can dig in and we can examine and we can see the original language, even if we don't understand it. People have gone through painstakingly and they've, they've already done this. They parsed out all the Greek words for us and extrapolated the meaning and, and, and revealed that. So you guys at BibleHub.com? Yes. Go to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. You there? Yes. Okay, so we're looking at this verse. Now, if you're looking at the, your, your phone, your, your device, in the top right-hand corner, you're going to see something that says G. R-K, or Greek. Do you see it? Yes. Okay, click on that. It's in the top right-hand corner. Um, click on that. It says Greek or G-R-K. Okay, we want to we look at the original language of this verse. Now, once you click on that, it will take you and show you word by word in the Greek and in the English. On the far left-hand side, you're going to see some numbers. How many of you guys see the numbers? Raise your hand if you're with me. Okay, do I need to slow down and back up? Anybody? Do I need to slow down and back up? I don't see any. Not after you click on Greek, John. Show me what you got. Yeah, the numbers are right there. See Strong's and then the numbers. Yep. Okay, you guys see the Strong's and there's numbers? Are you at Hebrews 6 1? Okay. All right, you guys see the Strong's and the numbers? Okay, good. So those are the Greek words that are being translated into English. And if you scroll down, you'll see the whole verse is there laid out. It's all, it's all laid out for us. Now, let me ask this question. What is the Greek word being used here for repentance? Somebody read it to me. Find the word repentance in the verse and tell me the Greek word that's there. Just try to pronounce it. It's okay if you mess it, mess it up. Yeah. You guys see it? Yes. Okay, so repentance... In the Greek is meta, it's two words smushed together, metanoia, metanoia, okay? 
Does anybody need my help? Do we need to slow down and re-explain anything? Okay, somebody move over and help Marvin if you don't mind. Somebody who knows what they're doing, just stand over there and help Marvin out. I want, to, I want everybody to be equipped with this skill to be able to look up the original language. Okay, so let's talk about metanoia now. Meta, what does meta mean? You know, there's a social media app, Facebook turned into meta, right? What does that mean? And there's the metaverse, metadata. Meta means that which comes after or later, meta. Okay, it's something, it's something later. So the metaverse is like the next universe. Okay, it's a digital universe. Okay, meta. So if you're taking notes tonight, you might say repentance in Greek. You might write that down. Repentance in Greek is metanoia. Metanoia. Now, meta means that which comes after or later or next. What does noia remind you of? What word does that remind you of? Annoy. What? I heard somebody else. News. Paranoia. I heard it. Yeah, paranoia. What is paranoia? It's being, it's being obsessed with thinking that people are out to get you, right? It's all in your head though, right? That's paranoia. Oh, you're paranoid. It's all in your head. Okay. Thinking, Thinking, knowledge. Yeah. A way of thought. So meta noia. It's so it's a thought which comes later or after or, or subsequent way of thinking is how we could define repentance in the Greek. Okay. So what is the Greek word for repentance? Metanoia. And you guys see that? I've, I've equipped you with how to look at the Greek words using this website. And again, there's other websites. There's other apps you can use. I like Bible Hub. I'm really familiar with it. And it's free. Okay. What is the Hebrew word for repentance? Teshuva. We could spell it like this. Teshuva. And the root of this word is shuv. And what does that mean? To turn. So... Watch me, watch me shuv, okay? I'm walking this way. I'm gonna do an about face and I'm gonna walk the other way. I just did a shuv. So you put a, a tav in front of it, make it tashuva. It means, it means you should turn or, or you're turning, okay? So we have, you know, the, the Hebrew Bible obviously is written in Hebrew, but the New Testament is written in Greek. So we have teshuva and we have metanoia. Now, how are those words alike? How are those words alike? Huh? Well, let's talk about an action. There's a change, there's an action, yeah. How are they different? How are metanoia and teshuva different? Metanoia talks about the mind. Mm-hmm. Teshuva is not necessarily the mind. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Metanoia is, it talks about the mind. It's a way of thinking. Teshuva is about an action. And you're going to see that as you become scholars of the Bible, the Hebrew language is a more physical language. It's a more tactile language. The Greek language is a more abstract language. They both have their strengths and they both have their weaknesses. And we should look at them and compare them both. I like them both. But it gives me, it illuminates to me what repentance is. It is walking one way, heading one way, turning around and going the other way. Why? Because my thoughts have changed. Okay? My mom said okay. that uh, if you go to the right of metanoia, that that's a, a noun. If you stand to the right on your phone, yeah. it it'll noun. show you what... Whereas is probably a verb. Yeah, she's saying metanoia, it says, is a noun. Teshuva is a verb. So... It's also interesting that it's feminine. 
Yeah. Yeah. See, this is why I like this is why I like a midrash because you guys pull these things out. That's everybody gets edified. It's a it's a feminine noun, and we are the bride of Christ. Good. I like that. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's our walk. Yeah. So, okay, you guys are at Bible Hub still. I want you to go down. I want you to tell me what is the Greek word used here for dead works. What are the Greek words used for dead works? Somebody spit it out. Necron ergon. Necron ergon. You guys see that? Necron ergon. So dead works. Is necron ergon like ergonomics or uh, necron is obviously dead. Uh, you guys know that prefix necro? It means death, right? And ergon is actions or deeds. Okay. Now you guys can see those words. Now what I want you to do is is tap the number, the four numbers or whatever, sometimes it's three numbers. Tap the number, it's highlighted in blue. Okay, tap the Strong's number, yeah. On Necron, yeah, what does it say? Somebody read it, tap the number on Necron, what does it say? Lifeless, what else? Subject to death. What? Dead body? Corpse, yeah. Okay, does that kind of illuminate that word a little bit more for you? Necron. Okay, now go back one. Click back. Now do the same thing. Click on the Strong's number, but for the word ergon. Click on that for ergon. Tell me what you see. A noun. A noun. Work, task, Say it louder. Work, task, employment. Work, task, or employment. Employment, employment huh? A deed or action. A deed or an action. Okay, so you put the two together. You have things like deeds that bring death, that make you necron, that make you a corpse, or employment that brings death. What does Paul say? The wages of sin, right? Yeah, so he's playing off of that. It's like a, it's a, it's an enslavement. It's an employment, right? Okay, good. So you guys see that. You can look at these definitions. Now, Let's, uh, let's throw out some verses. I want somebody to take on this side over here. Deuteronomy 24.16. Over here, go to Deuteronomy 24.16. Over here in the middle, I want you guys to go to uh, Numbers 27.3. Over here in the middle somewhere, Numbers 27.3. And on this end, Ezekiel 18.20. Ezekiel 18.20. What brings death is the question we're trying to answer now. Because if we need to repent from dead works, if we need to change our thought process, if we need to be walking and turning from dead works, we got to figure out what causes death. Okay? You guys got Deuteronomy 24, 16 over here? Somebody read it nice and loud if you do. I like those glasses. <laughs> Somebody got it? Deuteronomy 24, 16. Read it nice and loud. Jeremy? Each will die for their own sin. So is there death there? Yes. And what caused the death there? Sin. sin. 
Okay? That was Deuteronomy 24, verse 16. Okay? Now, you guys in the middle, you had Numbers 27, 3, didn't you? Read it nice and loud, whoever has it. Melanie, you got it? No? Twenty twenty seven three. You got it, Sarah? Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the poorest followers. He banned the good of the Lord. But he died for his own sin and left no son. Okay, do you hear that? He died for what? His own sin. So what caused the death there? His sin. So what caused the death in Deuteronomy 24, it says? Sin. What caused the death here in Numbers chapter, what was that? 27? Sin. Okay, let's go to Ezekiel. Who has Ezekiel 18, verse 20? Read it over here. Go ahead, Anthony. The soul that sins, he will die. The son will not bear the iniquity of the father with him, nor will the father bear the iniquity of the son with him. The righteousness of the righteous will be on him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be on him. So, what he said, the very first, read the first section again, there's a first sentence again. The soul that sins, he will die. So what brings the death there for the soul? Sin, okay? So repentance from dead works, we could rephrase that as what? Repentance from sin. sin. Yeah, or the things that are bringing us death. And I'm going to prove to you that sin brings death. Now, What's interesting is you guys heard that and you thought, okay, sin, it's like, you know, intentional things. It's like, you know, things that have really gripped me. I've really chased after. But what's interesting, if you look at in the book of, uh, I think it's Second Samuel, where, where King Saul is, is chasing David around the wilderness, trying to kill him. King Saul actually thinks he's doing the right thing. And then he says, he's quoted saying, I have sinned. I am the failure. So sin is more than just, consciously doing bad things but sin describes how easily we deceive ourselves doesn't it and spin illusions to redefine our bad decisions as if they are good okay let me give you some more verses to substantiate that let's go to james 1 5 over on this side or i'm sorry james 1 15 on this side james 1 15 uh somewhere here in this little area romans 5 12 Romans 5, 12. In this area over here, like uh, Jim, Suzanne area, uh -huh. Romans 6, 6 through 16. So 10 verses, Romans 6, 6 through 16. Uh, like this area, Stacy and back, Romans 6, 23. And then Adrian, Patrick, can I give you guys Romans 8, 2. Okay, who's got James 1.15? Read it nice and loud. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world, death through sin. And so death spread through all mankind because all sin. Okay, did you hear that? He says, just as sin entered the world through one man, now it's like contagious. All have sinned. Okay? All have sinned. So if all have sinned, who's going to die? Everyone. Everyone. Newsflash. <laughs> if you have sinned, you have done things that are deserving of death, that are going to bring death. 
Who has Romans 5.12? Okay, do you guys hear that theme there? Paul's saying, because of sin, death entered the world. Now, who's got Romans 6, 6 through 16? You know what, uh, Suzanne, can I give Destiny a turn to read? Sure. Read nice and loud, please. Ten verses. Destiny, you're going to read verse 6 to 16. pause you there. Who is enslaved to sin? We are. We are. Yeah. Or we could say we were. Past tense. And what does sin bring? Death. That's review. Death. So who therefore is going to die? Yeah. But what did Paul say? When you die, you are free of enslavement from sin. And what did Paul say? Those who have died with Messiah are then free from sin, enslavement to sin, and are born again, right? Did you finish? This, okay, go ahead, keep going, sorry. Good. Thank you. Let's back up. What is repentance? Turning away. Turning away. It's changing your mind. It's changing your direction. And what does the writer of Hebrews say we are to repent from? Dead works. Yeah. What is dead works? Sin. Who has sinned? And what does sin bring? Death. So who's going to die? All of us. We're either going to die natural causes or we're going to die in Messiah. And be born again and brought to newness of life. Yeah. Gabe, are you saying that repentance, the word repentance, is, the, is exactly the same definition as repentance from dead works? Or rephrase the question again. Because doesn't the word repentance? I know it just, I guess, means to turn, but isn't yeah. that already basically means to turn from sin? Yeah, and I'm going to talk about what we're turning to. Is okay. that what you're asking? Uh, he's saying, is it um, a double? Is it a double? 
I am I being redundant, you're saying? Uh, I guess, or is it? like, I, when I think repentance, I think turn from sin. Yeah. Repentance from dead works makes me think it's a certain type of sin. But I don't know if I'm the only one who thinks that. Good works. Possibly. Yeah. Let's, you're changing your mind from sinning to having another mindset. Yeah, well, we got we to gotta dissect what is dead works, right? What brings death? Okay. Yeah. What works produce death? Well... So in modern day Christianity, dead works is the law, which we know is mm-hmm. false doctrine. We're saying yeah. dead works is sin. Yeah, so so what I'm trying to do is detach uh, dead works from, yeah, people will traditionally interpret dead works, repent from dead works. They will say, oh, that's obedience to God's law. What I'm saying is repentance from dead works is leaving sin, departing from sin. Does that make sense? You can, so, so metanoia and teshuvah does not, it's not automatic. That means you're repenting from sin. It just, it is, they are Greek or Hebrew words that are being employed. The writer of Hebrews is saying, turn from or change your mind from things that produce death. And he's adding the qualifier in there from things that are dead works. Does that make sense? Yeah, I follow you. Okay. So, uh, what I want you guys to do. Uh, no, I, I left off uh, Romans 6.23. Where's Romans 6.23? Over here? Yeah, somebody already has it memorized. Read it real loud, Macy. For the okay, so what brings death? Sin. 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 Yeah. So, so repentance from dead works is the same as repentance from what? Sin. 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 Okay. So Romans 8.2, who's got that? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So what Paul is saying there is that the law that God gave on Sinai is not the law of sin and death. What Paul is saying there is there is a relationship between sin, sin leads to death. And this relationship is called the law of sin and death. It's a biblical principle. Paul is just saying, guys, you should know, you know this, that sin leads to death. That is the law of sin and death. Okay? So he's not calling God's law. God forbid that he would call God's law the law of sin and death. Right? And it's anything but. So what I want you guys to do now, um, let's, let's do three more verses and let's get a good definition and understanding of sin and how it leads to death. Let's go to Galatians 5. 19 to 21 over here. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. And then in the middle here, Ephesians 5, 3 through 10. Ephesians 5, 3 through 10 over here in the middle. Over here, first, somewhere over here, 1 John 3, 6 through 10. 1 John 3, 6 through 10. Okay, you guys got Galatians 5, 19 to 21 over here? Somebody read it real loud for me. Now the deeds of the flesh are clear, sexual immorality, impurity, indecency, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, cursing, and things like these. I am warning you, just as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. Those who don't inherit a kingdom of God, what do they inherit? 
death, or what the writer of Hebrews will say, eternal judgment, which is an eternal death, right? So uh, Ephesians 5, 3 through 10, who's got that? It's an eternal dying, I should say. Ephesians 5, 3 through 10, who's got that over here? Anybody? Who? Sophie, go, go ahead, real loud. You heard Paul say there again that he listed out a series of actions that bring death, that prevent one from in, uh, inheriting the kingdom of God, eternal life, okay? So he's, he's adding a little bit more clarity for us as some, in, in labeling and identifying some specific actions that bring death. Not only that, but are disqualifiers from inheriting the kingdom of God. And if you don't inherit the kingdom of God, you inherit God's, what Paul said in Ephesians 5, God's wrath. Okay? Who's got uh, 1 John 3, 6 through 10? Anybody? Go ahead, Anthony. Which one did you say? Uh, 1 John 3, 6 through 10. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who sins has seen him or known him. Children, let no one mislead you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as Yeshua is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. Then Elohim appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God practices sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. It is clear who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil by this. Anyone who does not act righteously or love his brother is not of God. Okay, is Paul saying there that once you get born again, you'll never sin ever again? No, absolutely not. What he's saying is that if no one, no one who says they're of God or born again continues to live and practice an unrepentant sin. You got me? I hear a lot of, a lot of believers will condemn themselves saying, I, keep, I, keep, I, just, I can't be perfect for some reason. Well, yeah, because <laughs> you're trapped in this, this flesh and bones, right? We live in this fallen world, of course. That's the beauty of our faith, is that we, we live under this constant acknowledgement that we are broken. This constant acknowledgement that we can't do it alone. And there's no other faith like it in the world. All of the faith, especially like Eastern religions will say, you just have to perfect yourself a little bit more each day and then you'll be fully enlightened. Whereas the Christian faith at its core says, you are broken at your core and you need saving. You cannot fix yourself, no matter how much meditation you do, that you need divine intervention. And you go on and you tell other people how broken you are. That's the beauty of it. And God is gracious and he's merciful. What I wanna give you guys now is an assignment and you can do these in groups or whatever. I'm gonna, I wanna have you look up, you know, the, the first part of your Bible is written in primarily in Hebrew. And the second part of your Bible is written primarily in the Greek language. 
so naturally there's going to be different words. We're talking all about sin now, which leads to death. There's going to be different words in different languages that are, that are translated as sin. Now, there's three words in the Hebrew language that are often translated as something along the lines of sin. I want this half of everybody over here to look up and find those three words that are often translated as sin in the Hebrew Bible, okay? There's three different levels or, or types of sin. Okay, you guys tracking? Any questions? Okay, cool. Look for those three words. You can Google three Hebrew words for sin. You can do all that. Whatever you got to do, okay? I'll come back and check on you in a second. Say again? Yep, you're on the right track. So, uh... You guys are going to look up the Greek. What is the Greek word for sin? Okay, and I want you to be able to explain it to me. Look it up. Look up the definition and be able to pronounce it and explain it for me. Okay. You can use Bible Hub or whatever. Okay, guys, take about 30 more seconds. I'm going to give you guys, if you've already found it, listen, if you already found it, I want you to, I want you to find one verse that uses each of those words. See if you can find one verse that uses each of those different three words. And I'll give you a hint. Uh, the Psalms uses them a lot. Especially, I think, Psalm 51. Kind of narrows it down for you. I think Psalm 51. Is that where you're at? Okay, guys, um, find me a, find me one or two examples where that Greek word is used, okay? Well, I've got the definition and also the name. Okay, cool, cool. All right, raise your hand if you've got three words and three <coughs> verses over here. Three words and three verses. Jeremy, you got three words? Okay. Anybody got three words and three verses? <coughs> All right, let's just go with the three words, and then you can look up the three verses later. You got three verses? Okay. All right, what are the three Hebrew words for sin? Hannah, you want to give me one? Avon. Avon. What's the second one? <coughs> Pesha. Pesha. <coughs> What's the third? 
chet, or sometimes it's chata, like this. Chata, chet, same thing. Um, so why three different Hebrew words for sin? Because there's different types of sin. Yep. Okay, there's different types of sin according to the Hebrew Bible. There's different levels of sin. And um, I remember teaching this in Bible class in high school one time, and the student came back the next day having talked to their pastor and was in complete shock and horror that I would ever say that. And their pastor actually said that, no, your teacher in school was wrong. And I was like, have your pastor come in and meet me for lunch tomorrow, and we'll talk it over because he is wrong. <laughs> we never did. I was going to maybe arm wrestle him or something, but depending on how big he was. But no, there's three levels of sin. There's Avon, there's Pesha, and there's Chata. The two on the top have a connotation. The Avon and the Pesha have a connotation that it is premeditated and it is intentional. Okay? Whereas Chata is completely accidental. I did not know the standard and I broke the standard. Okay? Now, this all goes back to the opposite, which is uh, the, the idea of yara, which is to shoot an arrow at a target. That's the root word where we get Torah from. And Torah is the target at which we aim. And to miss that target is to chata, to miss the mark. But to purposefully miss the target is to avon or to pesha. Those are often translated as uh, iniquity or transgression. And chata is translated as sin. But there's different levels of sin in the Hebrew Bible. So, Jeremy, you got something? Yeah, read one. Uh, this is Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was shaken in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Yeah. Yeah, you got one, Leslie? Psalm 32, 1 and 3. You've got blessed be he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sins are covered. Iniquity. The Lord does not kill and bless him. Yeah, you see. Even the psalmist is breaking those three apart and saying, blessed is the man who has all three of these forgiven. Okay. Was there any sacrifice in the temple that covered uh, intentional sin? No, there wasn't. There wasn't. So uh, it's very important. And that's some of the, the, the deep, deep theological importance of like Yom Kippur, for instance. Um, because, yeah, the Hebrew, the Hebrew Bible, God, God separated these different levels of sin. There's a difference if my son sin against me and disobey me accidentally. In my mind, I, I am way more understanding and compassionate than if I know they repeatedly break my rules that I gave them and it was very clear and articulate to them, right? And that's, that's completely understandable and that's what a good father does, right? There's a swifter punishment. There's a stricter judgment that comes along with that. So, what's the Greek word for sin? Amartia. Amartia. What's the definition? What does it say in the Strong's? Like, well, I just Googled it. Okay. It said, um, a failure to achieve your true self, express and preserve their relationship to the rest of the universe. But then later hmm. it said, Sounds Yeah. And it talked about a single sinful action missing the mark. Missing the mark, yeah. yeah. Amartia. Uh, Aristotle was also one who coined this 
cut. And uh, the tragic flaw part of it is where we get a chili peel from. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Good. You guys know that you know how to kind of parse these words out a little bit more. You know where you can find these words. So now we have to ask the big question. If repentance from dead works means repentance from things that bring us death and cause death to humanity, which we'd established was what? Sin. Then there's the big question. Okay. Repenting is stopping doing those things, right? What are those things? If someone's reading these verses to you, naturally your next question is, okay, yeah, I want to stop doing these things. But what are those things? things Paul lists some things out, right? But what are you going to say, Jim? The things that are prohibited by The things that are prohibited by what? By the Torah. Okay, go to 1 John 3, 4. 1 John 3, 4. The Apostle John gives us a very clear and concise definition of what sin is. What does it say? What? Yeah, keep going. So what is sin? Lawlessness. Lawlessness. The transgression of the law. Yeah. And where do we find the law? In the Bible, in the Torah. Yeah. Does everything in the law, can we do everything in law? Does everything apply to us? right now living in 2023 and as a as a male you know a non-levite a non-cohen you know these things i think anthony remember you did that teaching a year or two ago how many how many commandments did you go through and enumerate apply to you today in 2023 living in dothan alabama was it like 192 That, that number sounds familiar so there's like several hundred commandments in the torah most of them apply to the temple worship system and and he enumerated about 192 that, that he could do. Um, and you might be thinking, oh, that's a lot, right? That's so many. Not really. It's not that many. Um, well, you feel set the scale a little higher. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He set the scale a little higher. Um, which, which leads me to my, my next point. Can we do the law? Can we do God's commandments? No. And they be dead works? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I see that more in the Messianic Hebrew roots world. A call for repentance needs to happen more than anything else. I don't have a problem with Messianic people coming into our midst and sleeping around with other people. I don't have a problem with Messianic people coming into our midst and and having addiction to gambling. I do from time to time. Don't get me wrong. I, I do see some pretty grievous things that Paul lists out in Ephesians 5. But more often than not, I see messianic and religious people come into our midst that are practicing dead works and those dead works are the Torah and they need to repent from them. What do I mean by that? They are doing them without a contrite heart and a contrite spirit. They are doing them before they have repented. They are doing them before they have died and crucified their flesh and been born again. The gospel requires us to have faith and repentance and that then produces obedience but if we obey with the hopes that we ha- will then gain a, salv- a saving grace or gain something from god then you're wrong those are dead works as much as the list that paul lists out in ephesians 5 
And there are many dead people doing things that look very righteous who come into our midst and are practicing dead works and need to repent from them. And more than anything else, I have to call people to places of repentance and even in my own self from those works than I do the others. I see you nodding. I think I'm... That's kind of what I was wondering. Yeah, yeah. okay. Because, yeah, that's more of what I was wondering. That's more of a rampant problem in our midst than it is other things. Now, there are other things, don't get me wrong. And every now and then I have to just look at a, a human being and say, you're doing something that is very contrary to God's law and you need to repent from that. And then more, three times more than that, I need to look at someone and say, you're doing something in God's law and you have a wicked heart. You are a prideful, arrogant human being and you need to repent of that. And I'm here today to deliver that news to you. Repent and fall on your face to God, get born again in him, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then that will compel you to obey his word. I better digress. <laughs> Was anyone sinless? Go to first go to first Peter chapter two, verses twenty two to twenty four. Everybody go to first Peter chapter two, verses twenty two to twenty four. First Peter two, twenty two to twenty four. Would someone mind hooking me up with more water? I went on a little, you, you want to do it for me, Lyle? Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, while you guys are going to 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to congratulate uh, Noah and Micah. Michael, Michael thank you. <laughs> Can you imagine Micah out there? <laughs> Noah and Michael ran a half marathon this morning. They, uh, and it's Gabe. Yeah, I was, just, I was just for company. But yeah, Michael placed third in his age group. And then Noah placed fourth in his age group. I'm really, oh, thank you so much. I'm really proud of them. And this was their first half marathon. They did an awesome job. And, uh, huh? I did, but I was just there for support, moral support. Yeah. But they did, they represented uh, DMF well out there in the circle. I remember I was running behind Michael at one point and he had earbuds in listening to worship music or something. And he was just like jamming out. His hands were flying around and stuff. And he was singing and, out there worshiping or something. First Peter 2, 22, 24. You guys there? Yeah. Somebody read it nice and loud for me. Real loud. No sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bears our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Hmm. Man, that's the good news, right? That the Creator took on flesh and dwelt among us and was sinless. And then He conquered the grave. He conquered the thing that sin brings us, that we might have hope, right? So, if sin brings death and sin is the transgression of God's law, what does obedience to God's law bring? Life. Can you prove it? Go to Proverbs 3.13 before I give you another little assignment. Proverbs 3.13. But to be obedient, you're saying 
Right, first. right, yeah. Well, and also he tells us, choose life. Mm-hmm. You guys there? Proverbs 3.13. Somebody not, just read it nice and loud. Read to the end of the chapter, I believe. Proverbs 3.13. You got it, Anthony? Go ahead and read it nice and loud. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her trade value is better than silver and her yield better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares to her. Length of days is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all of her paths are shalom. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her, and blessed will be all who hold firmly to her. By wisdom Adonai founded the earth, by understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the deeps were divided, and the clouds drift deep. My son, hold on to sound wisdom and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight. They will be life to your soul and, and an ornament to grace your neck. When you will walk, then you will walk on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden terror or of the devastation of the wicked when it comes. For Adonai will be your confidence and will keep your foot from a snare. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I'll get it tomorrow when you have it with you. Okay, I'm going to pause you there. What did Jeremy and Suzanne talked earlier, and they had one thing in common. Before they came to the saving knowledge of Messiah, were their lives pretty hunky-dory? Were they at peace? No, they were walking contrary to God's law, right? And they both said that our lives were in upheaval. They were tumultuous. And we had no peace, right? So walking in accordance with God's word, God's law, or wisdom brings life. It said, it is a tree of life to those who take hold of it. And all who support it are praiseworthy. We sing that when we're putting the Torah away, don't we? In the Eitz Chaim prayer. I want to give you guys one of the last assignments tonight of this time of Bible study. I want you guys to find, let's come up with a total of three or four verses that prove that obedience to God's law brings life. See if you can find some verses. You can use your phone and Google some. See if you can find some verses that prove obedience to God's law brings life. All right? Yeah. Yeah, that brings you to life, yeah. The tutor, yeah, yeah. Tells you that you're not. It's just there to tell you you can't. Yeah. You can't know the world. Does anybody have one yet? You got one, You got it. So you heard it. She said, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Right. And, and what is the what is the what does that mean? What brings life? What brings blessing? What brings death? What brings cursing? Obedience 
to God's commands, right? And what brings death? What brings cursing? Disobedience to God's law. All right. Now, is the law hard? According to God's word, is it hard? No. In fact, yeah, and Yeshua says, my yoke is easy. My, but even in Deuteronomy, God says, don't think that what I'm setting before you today is across the sea that you need to send someone to bring it back or it's up in heaven that you need someone to bring it down, even though that's exactly what Yeshua did. But no, it's, it's there. It's before you. Now, does anybody else have another verse? Yeah, Bob, Uga Bob, and then Marcus. Samuel 15, verse 22. Samuel says, As Adonai taketh much pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying what Adonai says, surely obeying is better than sacrifice, and feeding orders than the fat of rams. Hmm. Cool. Thank you, yeah. Obedience is one of God's love languages. Marcus? Cool. Awesome. Anybody else have Shannon? There you go. Suzanne, and then we'll go to Leslie. Cool. So we're going to take Leslie's verse 
and then uh, and we're going to review, and then we're going to go back to Hebrews 6. So, Leslie, what's your verse? Got it. So, does obedience to God's word save us? No. Is obedience to God's word an evidence of our salvation? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the fruit of our salvation, right? So let's review. What is repentance? Turning. What is the Hebrew word for repentance? Teshuva. What's the Greek word for repentance? Metanoia, to change your thought process, right? Like, let this mind be in you that is in Messiah. Uh, what is uh, what is the Greek word for dead works? It's on the board. Necron ergon, yeah, the the being being uh, employed by death, you could say, or something that makes you a corpse, right? What brings dead work? What is dead works? I should say, sin. And what does sin bring? Death. Who has sin? All have sin, right? What are the wages of sin? Death. Okay. All right. What is the opposite of sin? Or I should say, what is sin? No, what is sin? Disobedience to God's word and the commandments. So what is the opposite of sin? Obedience to God's word and the commandments, right? And what does that bring according to God's word? Life and blessing, right? Okay, so let's go back to Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, let us move on beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do that. So we're one-sixth of the way. We're checking our foundation, aren't we? We're remeasuring it, getting ready. If there's going to be more growth, more new people coming in, we all have to be on the same page, right? We often know we have to be able to articulate just the very foundational principles of our faith, okay? And I hope that we, uh, we, we at least made some success in that tonight. Maybe some of you guys learned some things or we had to relearn some things. But let's take... Um, Let's take five minutes. It's getting late. Do you guys have any questions or comments? Yeah, Xavier? Um, Gabe, since dead works, the only other time it's mentioned in that exact wording is in Hebrews 9, um, 13 through 14. Can you please read that and give me your thoughts on it? Yeah, let me get there real fast. Hebrews what? Um, Hebrews 9, 13 through 14 is the only other, like, in those words mentioned. mentioned. 9, 13? Through 14. The blood of goats and bulls and ashes of red heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. How much more than the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts uh, that lead to death or dead works so that we may serve the living God. Uh, Any thoughts? Same thing. Same thing? Yeah, I think... Um, yeah, so who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death. 
so that we might serve the living God. Yeah, I think, I think Im- imputing upon us his righteousness is what that's saying. Yeah, yeah because yeah. Like we, I think most of us recognize that uh, you know, sin is transgression of the law and we have to be born again, but it seems to me that most of us still struggle greatly with certain sins. Mm-hmm. We heard some of that tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess my, my big thing that I want to focus on and know and build upon from here is how do you get that cleansing from dead works? You could, you could say all you mm. want, stop doing this. Right. But obviously yeah. it's not that simple. Yeah. Right? Um, even after being born again, it's not. Willpower can't do it. Yeah, Your own so, willpower cannot do it. Yeah, so it, it seems like um, even after we're born again, there's a continual reliance on mm. um, Messiah plus the Spirit mm-hmm. who does it through us, I yeah. guess is what I'm... Um, yeah, absolutely. That, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, people that work out, you know, go to the gym... Uh, you, you might go to the gym and you think, okay, uh, today I'm going to bench press 225 pounds. And uh, you go in there and you're like, <laughs> you know, you can't do it. It's like you can hit 185 or 200. Uh, but then, then there's this wonderful thing called pre-workout. <laughs> and it's like, so anybody know what I'm talking about here? Over here, this corner? Pre-workout. And it's like these, uh, it's basically like this powder that you mix into a drink and it has these like, beta alanines and it has like caffeine in it and has all this other stuff and it's like you go in there and you're like right and you just turn into the hulk and it's like you can suddenly bench press 230 that day but it's like it's like that the the as much as i cannot willpower myself to bench press 225 i need like i see it with addictions to pornography i see it with addictions to sex i see it with addictions to drugs i see it with addictions to all kinds of stuff and, and I have a very good friend who is a long-time drug addict. And I asked him just the other day, I said, what, what brought you to the point that you were able, because he tried and he tried and he, he failed and he failed to quit. He was actually on crack cocaine. Tried and tried, living, living on a mattress in the woods for three years. And I said, what got you to the point where you finally got over that hump and you've been dry now and clean for, I think it's like 13 or 14 years he's been clean. What got you there? What was different than, than the other attempts? And he said it was a complete dependence and, and, and surrender to God as a higher power and, and confessing to him that I cannot do it anymore. I'm going to die. And, and it's like that. Once you surrender that and open up to the Holy Spirit circumcising your heart, then and only that you cannot do it by willpower. And even people that go through Alcoholics Anonymous, um, the Alcoholics Anonymous is, a, is faith-based, but it's not Christian per se. They'll say, if, if you're alcoholic, you need to say, even if it's that chair right there, that chair is the higher power and it will help me overcome my alcoholism. Now they'll say God or whatever like that, but you need a higher power to help you overcome your alcoholism. And that's why Alcoholics Anonymous is very successful that way. And it also has that accountability component to it where you're constantly going to meetings and you're constantly saying, I am an alcoholic. Hello, my name is this. I'm an alcoholic. And this week has been a good week for me or whatever. It's been a bad week. So our faith is like we're admitting we can't do it on our own. And then we come together with other people and we confess our sins to other people. Some of the most toxic church environments are church environments where no one confesses their sins to one another. And they, they don't do that. And I think really like uh, you, you see some of the biggest moves of God are, are birthed out of people coming together and just collectively ad- admitting that they have a problem with sin and they begin this collective repentance. And then you see the spirit of God move in that and grow. 
Um, and that's 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 amazing. But yeah, to answer your question. And, brief, and briefly, uh, thanks for saying that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's crucial. Um, the verse you read mentioned the ashes of the heifer. Yeah. You know, like you guys have, I'm sure at some point, taught on Numbers 19 and the ashes. Of, you know, the the process by which one would be cleansed. If, you know, yep. like I'm a registered nurse, so I touch dead bodies yeah. before. Yeah. So if I wanted to ever go to a temple before the resurrection, you know, I would have to be sprinkled by right. the ashes of the red heifer in, in um, running water. And it's, it seems, you know, if I tried to do that on my own, if I tried to walk into that state, i get zapped, you know. Right. So I, it seems like he's drawing a comparison there and saying just yep. like that guy is totally dependent upon people preparing the ashes in a specific way yep. and then sprinkling on you. That's how dependent we are on Yeshua, even on our day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like. yeah. Of course, it's a moot point right now because there's no kosher red pepper. Number one, number two, we don't have a temple. Yeah. I was, I was only using that as a comparison. Yeah. Before. The writer of Hebrews is yeah. He's making what like allegory? Would that be the right phrase? Making allegory <laughs> off of off of the off of the red heifer and saying analogy, analogy like uh like like just like that like they de they depended on that like you were saying they depend on that that um like you said that third party doing that. Yeah. So how much more so, you see that all through the book of Hebrews, how much more so do we depend on the sacrifice and the, the shed blood of Messiah? So yeah, and that cleanses us, us in our conscious of dead works. So any other questions, comments, Jason? Say the middle part again. You're saying that there's people that say, "Well, that's just the opinion of of Paul." Or yeah, of Paul, or that, or or or, or in some instances, well, that's not for us. Maybe that's in the prophets of writing. But yeah. Yeshua is back referencing all of those documents. Yeah, yeah. So are the disciples. Right. So you know, should we isolate that to the first five books? Should we prioritize that, or should we just take the whole together? Mm -hmm. That is our instruction. That is our course. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, I, I would I would agree with the latter, um, that they're all completely compatible with with each other, and God does not change. And yeah, like you said, Yeshua does make a point where he says he validates the canon of the, at least the Hebrew Bible by saying the, the 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 law, the prophets, and the writings. Multiple occasions, you'll see that being quoted that way. Um, and yeah, no, I don't think we should compartmentalize them and say, well, that's not that's not Torah. That's just like Isaiah, or that's just Paul's writings. I think it's a really dangerous and slippery slope to kind of inch towards. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, anybody else have a question or comment? Everybody's getting tired. It's late, but we'll take one or two more. Helen? I just, made, I just wanted to make an observation. Um, we find in the word that says, David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against mm. Now, if we go in the word, I don't care what you're dealing with. It's something in the word that can deal with whatever you're dealing with. Whether it's discouragement, anxiety, whatever it is. It's something in the word that can deal with that thing. Amen. You got to digest that word. So when the enemy come in like a flood, the Lord has a standard to raise up. His standard is his word. Mm. His word won't return to him, boy, it will deliver if we get it inside. Once we get it inside, the Holy Spirit can bring it up. 
here. When he brings it up here, you gotta, you gotta, you got a chance to think. Stop. Either you override the Holy Spirit and do it, which you know you're wrong, <laughs> or the Holy Spirit will soften your heart and cause you to back up. Once you get that word, that word will deliver. The word will do the work. God's word will not will not fail. I have I have I used to have a problem with anger. Very bad. I would fight at the drop of a hat. I didn't care who you were, what you look like. I had to go in the word and find all the scriptures I could find on anger. And now whenever I find myself getting irritated, just irritated, not even angry yet, that word will come up. Be not soon angry. For anger rests in the bosom of a fool. You 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 got to find you a, a, a scripture or two to help with whatever you're dealing with. Because it's that. You got to search it out. He says, study to show thyself approved. You got to go find it. If you don't know, ask somebody. Somebody can help you. But whatever you're dealing with, take this with you. The word will do the work. Hmm. That's good. Thank you. All right, guys, one more comment or question, and let's call it a night. Yeah, Jim? Yeah, that word, if I hidden in my heart, that I might not stand against you. And the other thing is uh, you don't need to lose hope because the Scripture says that uh, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. So he's going to, I use the word manipulate your life. Weave those threads. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's the weaver. So he's going to cause circumstances to happen in your life to kind of force you into maturity. Hmm. You know, it's constant war in all of us. And, uh, you know, if we go back to my Baptist days about, you know, the, the black the black dog and the white dog, and which, one, which one's going to win? The thing you, you know, the one you feed the most or the one you're feeding the most, or are you feeding the word or not? I mean, uh, but, you know, I always try to encourage my grandkids to read the Bible. So how, how, unless they read the Bible, then how can they ever get to the point of the scriptures coming up in them and doing like she's talking about, the scripture will, the Lord will remind you of those scriptures and bring them up into your heart when, when you need them. But if you've never read it and made it part of you, how can they even do that?